All right, everyone. Hi, my name is Jordan McNamara. I am the author of the Analytics of Dynasty, which is the 2021 edition. Uh, and I'm glad to be here. I've been uh, here once before, uh, and now I'm back. Uh, I think it was uh, the off season, maybe late in the season last year, or, or uh, maybe mid season of 2021. Uh, so uh, glad to be back. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. You can find all my work at analyticsdynasty.com. Uh, and uh, you can find the book there as well as the membership to my site. Um, so that is that's the nuts and bolts of it for me. Uh, I'll go through here and, and uh, answer some of the questions here uh, in terms of just going down here from the top. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, best wide receiver one buys uh, for the cost for 2021. Uh, you know, I was looking at this uh, today. I actually had my uh, I have I track real draft position over at analytics.com. It's like ADP, but it's actually tracks ongoing drafts. So it's a it's uh, more. Uh, I like it for a lot of reasons. It, it updates more quickly than once a month. Uh, it's it's I think more actionable because you see actual movements in the market, and you uh, you can sort of see things happening in more real time and it's less bias uh, than, than typical ADP. Some of my favorite buys in the range. And I think Michael Thomas at wide receiver 10 is pretty interesting. That's where I have him at 405 and super flex. Um, you know, I, I think Justin Jefferson probably has the best case to be wide receiver one. If you're not going to go one of the young guys, or you're not going to go with like Devonte Adams. I think Justin Jefferson is one of the guys, you know, if you call it on a rookie deal, I think he's probably the best, the best bet at 101. Uh, or wide receiver one, excuse me. Um, you know, some of the other ones, like I think DJ Moore is interesting, kind of on that wide receiver one, two threshold. I think he's a rock solid wide receiver two um, and is probably being underpriced. So those are some of my favorites. Um, any interesting, including Debbie strategies for your books? Uh, the answer to the question is yes. Uh, the problem is it's too much of a deep dive uh, in terms of uh, there's so much there that I'm just not sure if I ever, it's the same reason I won't cover IDP is you sort of go that route. It's really tough to come back from. So um, it kind of digs myself a hole. So that's really the thought there. Um, what's the best way to attack tight end post startup drafts? So that's interesting. I mean, I think, I think the formats uh, matter, right? If it's, if it's a non-premium position, I think you can just, kind of fluff it along i think this year is pretty interesting and looking at some of my real draft position um you know i i think if you sort of look in that teens range it's there's some interesting cases uh you know one thing the easiest way to do it and typically in a startup draft or out after a startup draft is to just do rookie drafts i mean taking day two tight ends in round three of rookie drafts is historically a really good strategy so you just keep doing that i mean you take cole comment last year and you just you get him at 212, 302, 304, three, you know, I got a bit in the fourth round in a spot. I mean, just keep doing that, right? And that's just, that's how you do it. Uh, you know, and, and by and large, the the formula is either take high pedigree guys sort of in the teens, or you take guys that are depressed asset, uh, high pedigree former producers. So that's Eric Ebron, that's Zach Ertz. Um, you know, heck, Hayden Hurst sort of fits that this year, right? So that those are the types of profiles, you know, avoid profiles would be, um, you know, avoid profiles typically would be guys in that range, like Chris Herndon's in that range. Um, you know, um, Irv Smith, 
you know, we can kind of go back and forth on him, but those are kind of misses in that range. Uh, you know, I think depressed pedigree uh, is is probably the easiest fix at tight end, whether that's really in a rookie draft or for some reason it's a veteran fa- falling in value, particularly in that production. Um, highest ownership players across my league. I was actually looking that to answer this question. Um, so no surprise at tight end, it's actually Cole Komet. And, uh, you know, I, I do say what I speak. So Cole Komet, Evan Ingram. So Cole Komet's at 40%. Evan Ingram's at 28%. Uh, Eric Ebron's at 20%. Um, again, falling pedigree, Jusai Degara at 16%. Again, those are super deep leagues. Uh, you know, Jared Cook at 16% as well. So um, those are really, really guys that have high, high ownerships there. Um, for wide receiver, it's Brandon Cooks, uh, Sammy Watkins at 36%, 32% for Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, and Will Fuller. Uh, and then Jarvis Landry's at 28% there. Uh, let's see. Running backs, Giovanni Bernard, 76%. Uh, Devontae Booker, 68%. Alexander Madison, 64%. Leonard Fournette, A.J. Dillon, 44%. Um, and then I have Jeremy McNichols and Damian Harris at 40% and Mike Davis, carry on Johnson and Jonathan Taylor all at 36%. And then my guys at quarterback are, um, let's see here. Russell Wilson's at 24% made a trade. So it screwed up my, cal- my calculator. Okay. Uh, Russell Wilson's at 24%. Then I have a bunch of guys at 20%. So it's, again, these are different arguments, but I think you see a lot of the same uh, rationales here with some of the guys that I take. Uh, Matt Stafford's at 20%. Dak Prescott's at 20%. Jameis Winston, I like to thrift shop at quarterback when I can do it. He's an example of that, 20%. Other example of that is actually Chase Daniel because I thought there was a shot that Stafford was gone. Um, I just wasn't sure how they'd fill it. It was like a 5% shot at a... 2021 starter. He'll be a cut up here coming soon. He's at 20% as well. So is Andy Dalton. So that's kind of my process for how I get to those guys. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Nick has a good one. And can you talk about what ownership percentage means to you as an analyst? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's put your money where your mouth is. Again, I can like players. I can like players more than I own them. I roster them. Yeah, I, I like to say roster percentage. Uh, I can oh, I can roster. I can like players more than I can roster them, and a lot of that's about cost. Uh, and so you can, you know, any any player profiles really two questions. One is cost. The other is the actual profile. Uh, yeah. So the the I'll probably and Alvin Kamara is a good example of this. I you know when I was in the rookie draft, the there was a very simple play which was you go and you get to 107 you either move up or you move down but you sit and park yourself at 107 and you just bang away at kamara and you know so i took him and i that was the most i had ever rostered anybody i mean it was 60 percent was that wasn't that many leagues right it was at that time i don't know maybe seven eight nine something like that you know now i own triple the amount of teams so i don't have as much roster percentage of him just because it's been so much more expensive right i mean we sort i i you know that's probably the best call i've ever made um that one i have plenty of misses too we could talk about those ad nauseum but that's probably the best one i ever made but now it's funny you look back on it and i don't really own him that much but i do think it means putting your you know it means it, it, it truly means what you what you say too right if you're if you own if you say hey i'm really really high on this person and you own him at four percent right that's below random 
right? So what are you, what are you talking about? Right. So I like, you know, the guys that I get, you know, I'm not afraid to leverage, you know, the AJ Dillon bets, uh, the Madison bets, the Damian Harris bets, right? They're all bets on profiles and they're all pretty close to the same types of profiles and you just bet them and you bet them over and over and over again. And that's really what my, my things mean. Terms of analytics, what are some stats or areas you think the average player might overlook? I think roster construction is the easiest way to do this. Um, you know, you can sort of you can eliminate a lot of uh, a lot of the misses just by taking, you know, just by stop taking bad profiles, right? Just eliminate day three wide receivers from your uh, your universe, especially ones that if they have not hit for a top twenty four season, just don't draft them, right? Just don't draft them and Right. That's a really easy way to amp up your uh, amp up your hit rate is just avoid those, um, you know, uh, uh, avoid non top 10 quarterbacks who haven't uh, who haven't hit yet. Right. Um, and once those quarterbacks hit, that puts them on a different trajectory. But, you know, kind of don't go the developmental quarterback routes. Another one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, those are easy ones. Uh, I think looking at, you know, one of the things I talk about in the books is is. I, I write the books for the purpose of a broad strategy, right? Which is to say that don't, these are like just simple rules to follow. And again, it's a lot about rules. It's a lot about uh, just, just here are things that you can do to sort of improve. I mean, understanding the hit rates on players is really important. Understanding how, how when you have a second round running back, what does that mean in terms of odds to hit, uh, right? Because that hits about about 55% of the time, right? Compare that to a second round wide receiver, it's about 33% of the time. It's a big difference, right? Big difference. Uh, and so, you know, you sort of understanding those things and understanding player profiles, I think that's really the easiest thing. And I have a chapter in my 2020 edition called Base Rates. And if, if you knew nothing else, right? And I, I joke that I, my sister knows nothing about football. She wouldn't know who a wide receiver was, you know, if she was given a map. Um, I joke with just that chapter, that we could probably get her, um, you know, at, at or um, out of the out of the basement to league average, just in terms of that 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 chapter and some of the density chapters, and you know, a couple three or four rules in there um, that she could have a pretty good startup just based on that stuff. So, what's a chapter from your latest uh, AOD that you're most proud of, whether it was written by you or a guest? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think the guest thing is an important move for me. Um, and that was say that, um, you know, uh, there's been stuff that I want to cover. And I, I really think that, yeah, I sort of take the analytics of dynasty as a, I, I sort of look at the idea of like baseball prospectus back in the day, uh, or about like, you know, some of the Bill James stuff from baseball, football prospectus as well, uh, and, and sort of use those big ideas, right? Have it a place to be about ideas and about, about different things and trying to push the envelope on, on terms of, you know, whether it's contrarian strategies or whether it's, um, uh, just, just, uh, some thoughtful, uh, you know, some thoughtful debate, some thoughtful, um, you know, different strategies, right? Looking at things differently in a, in a more uh, global perspective. And so all of that's pretty, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that including other people in that, because I think that ultimately, you know, analytics isn't, isn't one person, right? It's about trying to take a, it's about trying to, you know, put some substance behind, you know, what we know, right? And, and, and I think that's important. And I think, you know, and, and 
frankly, the people that I had be writers aren't necessarily up and coming people. I think they all have their own platforms and they're doing fine for themselves. But I do think that there is a that there is a part of uh, that there's a part of being a content creator that is uh, important to pass it along to other people, right? So I think that in future editions, that'll probably be, you know, it's been well received. And I think it'll be something that I look forward to more in the future. So that's certainly something that I'm really proud of. Um, in terms of the other stuff, I mean, in terms of my stuff in this book, um, uh, I think the consistency stuff is uh, is something that, is really important and um you know, understanding guess goes back to a question from earlier it's just about um you know it's it's it, what what is some things that the average player should know consistency is bogus right that striving for player consistency right week to week is is a fool's errand right that 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 is uh no not of any value in terms of predicting literally zero value in terms of predicting your success and predicting how you your wins anything like that like the most important thing right the thing that explains like 95 percent of your all play record which is basically all you can ever control the rest of how your record turns out is just luck uh 95 of that's explained by points <laughs> i mean what what are we trying to strive for the other parts about you know that's that's kind of me just score as many points as you can so um i think that stuff right in terms of shooting down some of those narratives i think is really important um, and I think that it's a very contrarian thing, you know, so when you see wide receivers, oh, this person's boom bust, almost automatically by definition means they're undervalued. Definitionally, when you see that bake into a player's price, it almost always means they're undervalued because people misunderstand that quite a bit. Uh, but that's a good question. Thanks. Um, but yeah, definitely going with the guests. The, the, definitely the the contributors uh, love what they did this year. Do you believe that teams will have to cycle through rebuilding competition or is it truly possible to build a perennial contender um yeah I, I do think it's possible um you know and i think it's uh, I, I think if you sort of do it right you you can constantly build a contender um is it and you start off from a startup draft and have a contender for the next 10 years i mean that's probably not realistic right there's a lot of things that can sort of fluctuate in that um you know whether that's you know, injuries or age or, you know, sometimes you just draft bad, right? Those things happen. Uh, but I think understanding that is uh, understanding kind of what your aim is, is important too. So I think people tend to go into deeper rebuilds, right? I think people tend to sort of shoot for the wrong, the wrong end in a rebuild, right? They, they shoot three, four years out. I think you shoot, you know, 24 months out. Um, I think that's really the thing. And I talked to, you know, I have a subscriber and a client who's plays in, hundreds of dynasty leagues uh he does it basically as an investment pro, pro, uh, portfolio he's well under the six figures in terms of fantasy investments in a year and one of the things he said to me that i've really taken is that it, you know rebuilds he basically says that's his greatest roi and when you think about that it's really interesting because his his philosophy is that within 12 months, I should be able to sort of be on the precipice of being a playoff team through waivers, through being aggressive on waivers, um, you know, through sort of using good principles and drafting um, and some of the trade stuff. And then from there, you know, within 24 months, I should be able to be a, a buy contender. Um, you know, is that realistic with every team? Probably not. But I think 
with the vast majority of teams, if you do it right, it probably is, right? So that's one of the things I think is really, in some of that's contrarian, right? Some of that's taking on risk, right? If you're rebuilding, you should really take on risk. Um, so that's that's something that, you know, I think is uh, is sort of how to build it. But, you know, I have teams that, just looking at one yesterday, um, I, you know, it's it's I drafted in 2012. Um, and I've probably made the playoffs in all but a couple of seasons. Um, you know, and I drafted really well. It was my first dynasty draft. Um, and I look back and I hit like really well early, uh, almost being a fool's, you know, fool's goal, fool's luck. You know, it was just, it was, um, uh, you know, I just, I just did it. I just did it, did it well. Gronkowski, you know, it was and when he was young and I got that whole prime and, you know, so all of those things I, I did, I did pretty well there. Um, but since then, right, since I've learned more and more, I've applied the stuff that I've learned uh, to that team. And now it's really tough to get around. Right. And it's, it's, you know, so I have good, I have a good core, right. And I'm pretty deep and it's tough to beat me, you know? And so people, I have, I, I, I don't think I've won a championship in the last uh, year or two, but you know, it's, it's getting buys. And then once you get there, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? That's, that ends up ultimately being my goal. So I do think that's possible. Um, do you start right from there and sort of continuously do that? I mean, that's kind of tough. Um, you know, but when you get into, I think a lot of it's retooling, you know, retooling around the edge, understanding, you know, one of the concepts I use a lot is warp. And so when you get a player that really upticks in price, uh, you can look and see what their warp is. That's wins over replacement player. And certain profiles don't really return value over replacement player to the price point that they're valued. And so, you know, doing selling those low warp guys and sort of continuously churning over your roster of those of those guys and and using picks and and upgrades and sort of through that process, I think that's really the way to go. So I think you can do all I think you can do both. Right. I think you can continuously be productive. Uh, and it's sometimes it's just retooling. Um, are you still uh so that's a that's a really good question uh begrudgingly awake um so sam asked are you still as high on rondell moore as you were in the last ama seems the community has cooled on him uh, a bit in recent months it's funny I, I i think you can the most telling thing about a player's profile it tends to be uh their age 18 and 19 season in college so, uh, you know, Stefan Diggs is a, is a good example of a guy that had a really good age 18 uh, profile. His production profile was, is, you know, outstanding from that age. And, um, and he ended up falling in price because he kind of was hurt and had some of those, uh, some other stuff, you know, happen in terms of his profile. Um, you know, that's something I think when you, um, you know, if if a player has a really good 18 or 19 year old season, you know, we're talking dominator rating, uh, which is basically your market share of receiving yards and touchdowns, uh, you know, the average of those two. Right. So if you have uh, you know, if your team throws for 4000 yards and you have, uh, you know, you have a thousand of them, right? you have 25 percent of the market share. And if you have, uh, you know, you throw for 30 touchdowns and you have 10 of those. Uh, you have 33% of that market share. And so you add them up divided by two, which is the average and your market and your dominator rating is 29%, right? That's the combination of those two things. Um, when you sort of look at those, right, that's particularly early, right? That's the most predictive thing. So if things happen afterwards, right, 
that is that and, and draft pedigree, right? Those two things. And so when things happen afterwards that sort of cause a fall in price, it'll cause a, a fall in hit rate, uh, but you'll still be better than you would against guys who break out later. Right. So that's kind of the argument for that's kind of the argument against a guy like Devonta Smith, right? Is that he broke out really late when he was older, basically, than everybody. Um, and you know, so you sort of discount some of what he did. That's the argument. Uh, and you know, so for a guy like Rondell Moore, he was good from a really young age. That kind of is an indication that he's good. Uh, and so if he falls in price, you know, if he's a second round wide receiver, I think that's gonna create some really good opportunities. My, my concern is if he falls to round two, will folks actually discount that, right? Will folks, and that's one of the things like we've seen in recent years, some guys that have fallen in rookie draft pedigree um, that, you know, were up high on the board prior to the draft, but they fell. Hakeem Butler, I'm looking at you. Uh, and the market didn't really adjust. They still made him a round two, early round two rookie pick because, oh, the situation landing spot was good. <clears throat> he should have been off people's boards. So, yeah, moving, you know, it, it, I like the Rondell Moore profile. If he goes in round four, I'm, I'm going to be off of it, right? So that's nothing more than like a later round dart throw. That's kind of the, the thought there. The Stefan Diggs example too, of course, like even the market wasn't on him, right? So we do a really, like you'll get a 5% hit rate on round three wide or on uh, day three wide receivers. But the problem is, is that when you go back and look at who actually produces from there, the market has never gotten that right. Oh, the market has never really predicted the guy outside of Mike Williams. That was like 10 years ago. Uh, that's Syracuse, Tampa Bay, Mike Williams. Um, the market just doesn't really get day three wide receivers. Right. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, so I am on him, uh, but it's a lot of that's going to be pedigree. If he's a first round guy, he's probably going to be a target player for me. If he's a third round guy, it's like, uh, I'm probably not going to be a target player for me because I bet the market's over him. Uh, over my price on him. Uh, would you trade the 101 free pick in the second round on any given year? Uh, that is from um, Burn. I'm assuming you mean rookie rookie picks. Um, I don't know if you can reply in there if, if unless you mean something else. Um, I assume that's what you mean. Um, uh, so I, I would I do that? Um, <laughs> um, that's an interesting question. Probably not, uh, because I think there's a, a you know if you keep doing that, right? You you um, uh, you you have roster construction problems on the back end, right? So there is there's some value in that. I think the pick liquidity is probably not as valuable either, right? So I think you can. You could do a scenario where you can kind of bounce back to do that and pick up a lot of stuff along the way, right? So you could go 101 to, you know, 105 in a future first plus a pick in the second round. Then you could sort of move from 105 to 110 and do something similar. And sort of all of a sudden you sort of have multiple of those picks. Um, there becomes a, I will say one thing about loading up on rookie picks. It is a little bit of a, you can overdo it, right? And I've seen some people, you know, have first round all the entire first round, for example. Um, and that's nice, but one of the things that's really valuable in rookie drafting is knowing the profiles to draft and drafting them at the right price. So if you have the entire first round, you're not really doing that. 
right? So that's one of the things that I would say on that is sometimes that can be a little bit of an overkill. I'd probably take the 101 just because the odds are you're going to get a bigger difference maker. And plus, you're probably taking a market loss on all those guys. You know, you're basically taking a bunch of guys outside the top 100 in a startup draft for someone that's at about 20. Um, yeah, it probably doesn't, doesn't, feel, doesn't feel the best. Um, when you do hear 10 to 15 minutes of dynasty questions on Twitter, does this happen when kids get put down for a nap? You start a bus ride that takes that long going to be on the John. These are the things I think about follow up. What prompted these to start originally? Uh, yeah, Paige, that's a great question. Um, those all did start from, uh, when my daughter was, I don't know, maybe it's probably like, I'd have to go back and look when I first started these, it was probably, it was, it was absolutely when she was taking naps and I'd have to drive her for naps. Um, so that we have a, like a convenience gas station, I don't know, maybe like a half mile from us that uh, I'd go there and just park and have a nice view. And that's how they started. Um, and so, yeah, so that's certainly um, how they started. Uh, and so, the, you know, they'll pop up at different times. Sometime I'll just want some personal interaction, some, you know, that social distancing can suck, but Sometimes the the virtual uh, togetherness is is fun, so that's kind of it for me. Um, that's kind of uh, what I get out of it um, is is the interaction, and I really I like the interaction. So um, that's kind of why they have continued, right? So a lot of times it'll be um, you know, just a down few minutes. Uh, it'll be a down, um, you know, it'll it'll be a drive, right? They're they're typically somehow in some way, shape, or form <laughs> related to. Uh, me doing something with my kids where I have to be quiet. Uh, and, um, but yeah, so I enjoy them. I, I make time for them. You know, the, just the other day, my daughter was asleep in the car when I got home and one of them was asleep, one of them was awake. And uh, so I brought the one that was awake in, that was a toddler and uh, the baby was in the car. And I just said to my wife, hey, I'm going to do 15 minutes of dynasty questions in the in the driveway because she had about 20 minutes left to sleep. It's like perfect. So it actually works out perfect. So um uh, sort of a follow-up to this, what are some areas of analytics you feel are overrated? That's Adam Steeler's fan. That's a really great question. Um, I think uh, the combine, probably overrated. You know, I saw someone put out on Twitter today or yesterday or some, some point past like 72 hours, we'll say, saying, oh, you know, this film is going to be a lot more uh, valuable this year because, you know, oh, the combine, you know, the <laughs> – excuse me, the, um, uh, you know, the combine's not going to be, um, uh, you know, those, those pro day numbers aren't going to be that reliable. Well, we, we can kind of adjust for that. Right. And I think a lot of the, uh, one of the benefits I think of the combine of, of actually the pandemic is going to be, we will actually get uh, data on something that has been super interesting, which is, uh, what's related to home field advantage. Uh, and there is a theory out there and I'm not sure that this is true, but I know that now we have a sample size to actually determine it. Uh, and, and I'm sure that there will be people a lot smarter than me. Like I know that, um, now I listen, there's a podcast I listen to Wharton Moneyball, which is, uh, it's great. They discuss a lot of different, uh, sports analytics stuff. And, um, you know, they, they, I know are going to do, uh, stuff for you know, studying their their professors at UPenn, uh, and I know that they're going to do stuff for studying uh, 
you know, home field advantage and, and um, you know, is it sleep, right? That's a big theory in terms of sleep. Um, I actually think one of the reasons why the pro day is uh, times are better is sleep. And it is, uh, it is actually, you don't have to go through a physical beforehand, uh, which, you know, you go to the doctor and they're pulling on your knees and they're pulling on your arms and they're pulling on, you know, your ankles and, you know, they're, they're checking out your back and you're standing around for, you know, six hours while you're getting a, a thing like that's not conducive to physical exertion. You know, I'm a, I'm big into cycling. And one of the jokes is, is that if a cyclist isn't on his bike, he should be lying down in bed. Right. So hanging out in a, in a, um, uh, in a hospital to get an MRI and all this other, all these other physical things, uh, probably isn't that conducive to actually doing our best. So there's like actual reasons why pro days should be better. Um, so I think, you know, you, you can look at those numbers and adjust for that. Uh, but I don't think that, you know, this is a film over analytics thing, right? You can sort of look, go back and again, like I said, at the beginning of this, one of the most predictive things is your 18 year old season. Right? And so even if you don't, if you just know that and where they go in the NFL draft, like you can be ahead of the market, um, you know, and that's one of the things that I would do. Um, taking multiple shots this year is another thing, right? Um, that, that is another playoff of that. So I do think the combine's overrated in the sense that we, uh, place too much on it. It's it's predictive in terms of where guys go, right? So guys tend to go higher in the draft. But then when you sort of control for pedigree, it doesn't much matter. So if there's a really fast guy in the first round of the NFL draft compared to a slower guy who's in the first round of the NFL draft, like it, there's not really a uh, difference there historically. Um, and if the market is treating that, uh, you know, if, I don't know, Henry Ruggs or, you know, John Ross or these guys that go really high in rookie drafts because they ran really fast. And then you get the less sexy version like Brandon Ayuk, those types of players. Uh, you know, you, you just take the cheaper guy because there's really no difference in terms of hit rate and they're a lot cheaper and you can do a lot of other things by trading down or, or um, you know, selecting someone and then letting the the uh, other guy fall to a next pick. So I do think, you know, the combine stuff sort of in the context of within uh, within a round in particular is is um, is pretty overrated, um, particularly wide receiver. Um, all right. I've heard you say that you like to find market inefficiencies and exploit them for your teams. I know we don't have a fully established market on the 2021 class, but are there inefficiencies you're already looking at exploiting in rookie drafts? Are there any that you see developing? Um, I'm not fully here on this yet. So that would sort of be the initial salvo to this. Um, but, um, I tend to think that we vastly overstate our, um, our, uh, certainty on quarterbacks, right? So I think if Trevor Lawrence is going to be a, um, you know, locked in consensus 101, like that hasn't historically been that great. Um, and especially when there's other guys to choose from in the top 10, that hasn't really been a great um, formula. Uh, and when you sort of look, one of the things that I see is that, you know, and I talked about this in the book, the pick uh, the the if you sort of look at top ten quarterbacks as as a as a class right as a as a single uh, a single profile and and then within that their ADP um, and their draft pedigree right so you look you can look at both things historically it has not, neither of those two things have been predictive 
of success, right? So higher draft pedigree hasn't been more predictive within that top 10 subset. Uh, and the ADP hasn't been predictive either. Right? So if all of that is true historically, the question is, is, is it true now? Right? Is that the bet we want to make? Um, and so I have 101 in a couple spots. I earned one. Um, I traded for a couple of other ones that ended up being pretty good trades in hindsight. Uh, and I'm thinking a lot about that, right? Because it's a very high leverage situation. You have a first round startup pick basically in a rookie draft at this point. Um, I have the 101 going as 111 in my real draft position. So um, it's a really valuable, right? That's that's some place where we should spend a lot of time thinking about it. And that's something I think about a lot, right? In terms of the Trevor Lawrence profile. Is that something that I want to do? Or can I take multiple shots? Is there ways to take a lot of different shots um, by using that pick? So um, that's one thing I think that uh, that's an inefficiency that I'm going to try and exploit. I got to figure out how to do it. And if, you know, if trading down from Lawrence is the right play, right? Is it, um, you know, is it not taking the bet on quarterback two? It's taking the bet on quarterback four, right? That's one. Um, you know, and the other thing I think too is, is that we get, um, you know, anytime anyone's expressing a ton of certainty, that's a great thing to fade. Um, you know, and the other thing too is, is we're not particularly good at uh, differentiating between wide receivers. Justin Jefferson was a wide receiver four in last year's class, and it wasn't particularly close, right? He wasn't like you could say some people could say like, yeah, it's a tier, but that didn't really develop. He looked a lot more like wide receiver five than he did wide receiver one, two, or three. Uh, and we haven't done particularly well at that as a market. So that's one place that, you know, in a class like this, where it looks like there's going to be a lot of skill position guys, right? There could be five, six, seven, eight first round wide receivers, you know, four quarterbacks in the top 10. Uh, that's really interesting in terms of finding inefficiencies and just being willing to sort of uh, you know, move down and take the, take the value, take multiple shots instead of taking one. Um, that's all things that I think are pretty interesting. Um, any surprise players that you will get that will get tagged tomorrow? Um, yeah, not sure. Um, you know, Allen Robinson's one that I'm looking for. Um, so how that all goes. Will Fuller's another one. So um, what's your offseason strategy? Do you sit back or actively pursue trades? Uh, so that's a great question. That's from Sam. Um, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm constantly, I'm a tinkerer just by nature. Right. So if you go over to analytics and dynasty, it kind of always looks a little bit different than it did, you know, like, a week ago just because i'm constantly tinkering trying different things and all that stuff um so i am a tinkerer on my teams um and so i'll, I'll try different things one strategy that i love is i call it uh we settled on arbitrade uh which is a combination i tried to name it trade arbitrage, but that it's really difficult to say but basically thinking about arbitrage which is to say uh, what are two profiles what are two assets that that uh, are, are very similar, but are trading at really different prices and trying to figure out ways to sort of do that. So I have dynasty tiers, instead, which is something I do instead of rankings. Uh, and, you know, I do them for, you know, I'm actually working on tight end right now, but I have uh, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver all up. Um, and so I look at players as profiles. And a lot of what we should do is select profiles uh, that are really successful historically and find players that reflect them, right? Instead of trying to pick players, right? Pick profiles and make the bet on profiles and then figure out what players uh, are, are uh, reflect those profiles. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, and so 
kind of trade between those is really interesting, right? And so if you look at guys, you know, I tend to, for running backs, for example, I look at guys in, in, in windows, right? So guys that are in a three-year window and that's rookie draft or, you know, I do a lot of, a lot of contract uh, analysis on running backs because I think it's really important at that position in particular. Uh, so I look a lot at those and say, okay, you know, if, if there's a couple of these guys that are in three, what I think are three-year windows, but they're trading a lot, they, their prices are significantly different. How can I sort of maximize that? Or is that a situation I want to maximize? Um, you know, is, is uh, the, the year, the two-year guys are really interesting, right? Can I move from a guy that I feel comfortable in a one-year window to a guy in a two or three-year window, right? That's surprisingly easy. Um, you know, so, so doing those sorts of things are really important. I think now, you know, moving up the board, uh, is, is helpful now. Um, and whether or not you want to stay, there's a different debate. Uh, but having picks higher up now is particularly valuable because you have a lot of power when you're on the clock. Um, so that's something that I do a lot of, and then finding guys that are, are sell profiles and, you know, the, who, you know, it's the buyer sell debate is, is, uh, one that always happens. Um, but, but finding those and, and looking at those and trying to figure out, all right, like now's the time to do it. Um, I spent a lot of this time of year when everyone started doing rookie drafts, I spent a lot of time looking at veteran players because I think that's a way to differentiate yourself. Uh, and you can sort of get on things that might come up as being prime targets in June, July, or August, when everyone sort of turns their attention to redraft and some of the veterans, you can sort of do that now and sort of get pivot plays, right? So that's a, that's something I spend a lot of time doing right now. So yeah, I am pretty active at this point. Um, okay. So, uh, so um, is there an audio issue here? I'm um, just checking to see if there's an audio issue. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little, uh, um, the message here. Nope. Nope. So we're good. I think we're good. Okay. Um, all right. So sorry about that. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, let me go back. Sorry. Um, I just saw, I was just scrolling down. I saw a message. We had a little audio problem earlier. Um, okay. Uh, so that's my off season strategy. That's a really good question, Sam. Um, Penzo Amare, uh, who are your slam dunk talents in this year's draft class and who are you avoiding at all costs and why? Um, I think it's too early to say that. Uh, and the reason why is pedigree plays such a big deal. Uh, and so um, that's one thing that, that I think, I think is like the most critical thing uh, in terms of all of these things. So pedigree is really important. And then, you know, once you sort of know that again, looking at guys that are their draft pedigree and their, um, and their analytics profile, just knowing those two things about when they broke out, for example, at wide receiver is something that, you know, like I said earlier, is really helpful. Um, I don't know that pedigree thing yet. I think if, um, I think the kid, I think I haven't done a ton of uh, rookie stuff. Like I said, I'm doing a lot of veteran stuff right now. Uh, I think Kidaris Tony is the receiver out of Florida. Um, that's a pretty easy avoid one almost at any cost. It looks like at this point. Um, but we'll know more as we start to get an idea of, of draft pedigree. Um, this is a little bit more specific than I usually ask, but Chad is really down on uh, Cortland Sutton. And most of the reason I've heard is that his model doesn't like him. What are your thoughts? How do you treat injured players going into the next season? That's a good question. Um, I haven't actually talked to Chad about the uh, the Cortland Sutton thing. So I'll have to, I'll have to talk to him a little bit about that. Um, I, I, if, if I were to sort of, um, I think the 
probably overreact a little bit to injury. Um, and I, Chad, if I sort of had to pick um, a Chad, uh, a leak in Chad's game, it would be to say that uh, I think he tends to drop the guys that are injured a little bit uh, more than I do. Right. So I think that's a place where we differentiate a little bit. Um, I'll say with Sutton, I wasn't a huge fan of his coming in. Um, now he's sort of hit and put, put on a different spectrum. I think it's all a question of cost, right? Uh, one of the things that I would say, I was just looking at this actually today, recording some podcasts uh, for my Dynasty Daily podcast. And I was looking at, uh, I was actually looking at his cost. And so um, let me just pick, pull it up here. I got it available here. Um, okay. So he's going, uh, his median is wide receiver 25. And that's 710. Notably, Jerry Judy is 711. Uh, and he's his median is wide receiver 25. So they're essentially going right next to each other. Um, that is a crystal clear bet historically to take Sutton over Judy. That is the historic right bet to do, which is when you get two guys who uh, one has a prior hit on his resume and one doesn't. Um, and by hit, I say a top 24 seasonal finish. And they're the same market price because right? there's a lot of stuff in that market price that tells you a lot of things, right? The market can be wrong, but historically it's pretty good. Um, pretty good, right? There's leaks in it. There's places that it's inefficient for sure, different types of players, but, you know, just knowing those two things, historically the clear bet has been the guy that has hit over the guy that hasn't. So I thought that it was really notable that two teammates there. So I clearly take Sutton over him. And I think when you sort of look at some of the other guys, you know, like DJ Chark is kind of in that similar profile with LaVisca Chanel, right? Like the clear bet is Shark over Chanel historically. Um, especially with Chanel having less pedigree than Judy, right? That's an even easier one. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a range of guys between like 15 and 35 that you could say, like you can make a reasonable debate between a lot of them. And so, you know, so one guys, and I don't think the difference is all that much, right? I mean, if you put, you know, for me, if I put Sutton at 22, I think the difference is all that much between him and like, you know, 34, that's not a huge difference there. So that would be the other thing I'd say about rankings is that they're not necessarily like linear, linear, linearly spaced. It's not like a ladder where every rung is the same dis distance apart. There's a, there's a lot of differences in there. So um, I do treat injured players, you know, I, I think security is a big thing, right? So if they get injured, Heading into when they're in their final se season of their contract, you know, Marlon Mack, right? That's a disaster. <laughs> Historically, that's a really bad situation uh, for them. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think security is really important in terms of long, you know, multiple years of a, of a window at running back. Um, so that's one thing if, but if a guy's returning from an injury and is on a, is uh, has some security in his contract. That's I think something that I'm. Uh, I think we can uh, find some value in. And you know, when you look at about fifty percent of a player's ADP in any given year is explained by last year's total points. Right? So if if seeing guys fall in value, right, that's probably part of the reason. Uh, so you sort of have to. You know, I think that's a high level, a high leverage play to uh, to potentially be on. Um, what are the biggest, so that's a, so that's a really good question, Nick. Um, I'll have to talk a little bit more about him with, with Sutton. Um, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from writing AOD since you started? Yeah. So I'm on number three. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of narratives out in the market that aren't, uh, true. 
And I think understanding those and being on the opposite side of those are pretty valuable. Um, so that's consistency, right? That's definitely one. Um, you know, rostering wide receivers over running backs late and late on your rosters, another one, right? That's the easiest thing to not do. Um, so that's that's one that's super valuable. Um, and the other thing too is I would I I, I opened the book with a quote, um, and I firmly believe it. It's uh it's by you two, and um it is uh the more you see, the less you know. <laughs> and uh the, the more I write. And the more I research, the more I realize that there's a lot of things that we can't predict. And there's a lot of things that we can sort of fade, right? And one of those things is certainty. I think if you sort of come at things with a very open mind, you just look at guys and you know, have really wide ranges of outcomes on players. So if you're really certain about something, think about why you're really certain and think about if that's like a, a good reason to be certain. Right. So even even top 10 wide receivers, like this is a classic one, even top 10 wide receivers, it's only about four out of 10 of them ever produced a top 24 season. That's horrible. <laughs> um, you know, and so when you think about that, like, all right, like we're pretty sure on some of these guys, you know, Corey Davis was this bulletproof of a prospect that you could get coming out and still searching. <laughs> um, and so a lot of these situations, I think being open minded to to how much we don't know it's really valuable, right? So when you get two profiles that look a lot alike and one's cheaper, take the cheaper guy, right? Take the, take the plus on whatever that is. So that's one of the things that I really think about, uh, you know, constantly having an open mind. And, and the other thing too, is I think, I think some analytics folks, uh, I think some analytics folks uh, might mess the, um, you know, can sort of be, um, Gentle about film, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Um, you know, there's some arrogance there too, as well. Um, you know, and that's not to say anyone specific, but there's the film versus uh, analytics debate, something that'll never end. Um, you know, I go back to something that I read, and I read a lot of different stuff in preparing for the book. Um, and so, one of the books I read was Astro Ball. And um, you know, one of the lessons, I guess, is cheat. Um, but besides that, there were some team building lessons in there that were valuable. And one of the things that they did, it was a very analyst driven thing, but they tried to contextualize their scouting decisions. And so one of the things that they looked at was, um, you know, basically what do their scouts do well? And also what do their scouts do poorly? Because that's if, if someone consistently is bad at something that's actually valuable information right as long as you don't change them <laughs> as long as you let them continue to do whatever they're evaluating so i think the example was is you know some scouts are bad at evaluating curveballs bad at evaluating fastballs right bad at evaluating left-handed hitters whatever um, if someone's consistently bad at that and you know that they're consistently bad at it you can information is being valuable, right? Hey, you know, they're, they're predicting someone's going to fail, right? So we should maybe have a, we should be like, really think about this person critically, because if, if the guy that is really bad at predicting this thinks he's going to fail, like that, that's a, maybe a sign of success. And, you know, that's, that's basically leveraging the biases that people had for their benefit. Right. And I think that's a fascinating concept. Um, so 
I think using using cape, you know, and, and the Lawrence thing with me is everyone says that yeah, this is just how I would apply this. The Lawrence thing is really fascinating because I look at the numbers. I see a very good profile. Um, I wouldn't use the phrase generational. Um, maybe I can use the phrase generational to talk about his floor, right? And his odds of, you know, flunking out in the NFL, right? Like that, you know, his likelihood of sticking around as a starter might be higher than a lot of the guys in his draft range. I could sort of support that argument. What I think is dangerous is to use that as a ceiling argument. Um, and so for me, right, I, I look at that and I think, you know, what's the, how do I sort of square those two, right? So what I'm doing right now is I sort of have this position in my mind in pencil that I'm a little bit concerned about the Seattle Lawrence, especially when you sort of compare it to, right, this isn't a situation where we're a few years ago and there were no good young quarterbacks, right? And, um, you know, and so all the quarterbacks were old and, you know, we had had a bunch of misses at quarterback or whatever. And uh, so you were basically thirsty for, for a young quarterback and you took them early, right? This isn't that situation, right? You've got a lot of young guys. This was, um, I think I looked, it was 2019. It uh, was like the youngest quarterback in terms of uh, the average top six and the average top 12 finisher, like in 20 years. Right? So what's the rationale to push youth up the board? Know that there's a really high miss rate and there's a really high hit rate for guys that have already done it. So that's something I look at and say, huh, you know, so squaring those two things, like that's my analytics mind. All the film people are telling me that he's generational. Well, what's the difference and why hasn't it shown up on film? That's the thing with, with Lawrence that I've, uh, that I can't square, which is if he's generational, why hasn't it shown up in his numbers? Um, and when you sort of look at, you know, fields had two better than, and anything that Lawrence did. Um, you know, Wilson had a better uh, top season. Mac Jones had a better top season. Um, I think Trey Lance did too. Again, that's kind of tough to measure a little bit um, just in terms of his, uh, you know, how do you measure playing at that level? Um, but so what are we measuring for, right? That's that's the thing. And so that's, for me, I think there's value in both, right? And so that would be the thing that I would say about about looking at those um, um you know, about, about lessons, right. Understanding that there's information that we don't know, um, and that don't maybe show up in the numbers or they should, and they don't. And you know, how do we sort of square that? So that's a really, you know, I'm open to the idea that I'm wrong about Lawrence and trying to figure out, is that about, I want to make, cause I think that's something I need to spend a lot of time thinking about. So, um, so that's kind of the process and sort of the lesson that I've learned. Um, okay. Um, curious what his geo shares were like uh yeah um the most i yeah it was crushing right and the funny part is is like i analysts dynasty rosters look a little bit different they're two maybe three to one running back to wide receiver that's pretty atypical uh, if you see a running back to wide receiver build that looks like that they're probably a subscriber of mine um so the reason for that is, is what happened with Giovanni Bernard, right? I mean, he was a lock and load starter and Mixon was out. Um, very valuable uh, and vastly outproduced 
what you would expect his draft profile to have produced. Um, in terms of wins over replacement, in terms of adjusted wins over replacement, in terms of usable weeks, I mean, he smashed his his 18th, 19th, 20th round um, bust. It smashed it, right? Fourth round rookie pick valuation. Crushed it. Just smashing success from that cost. And those are the things that you see out of running backs instead of wide receivers. So that's why I can get really, really high leverage on those guys. Um, and th they change too. Like Giovanni Bernard was a really easy one to get high on. You know, I was high on Malcolm Brown a couple years ago. Um you know, and for a moment of time, it was actually right. And then he got hurt and CJ Anderson was the guy, but um, you know, you, you get opportunities for guys like Damian Williams and taking those kind of bets and just taking them a lot, right. Taking lots and lots and lots of shots at that. Those are really, really high, uh, really, really high values. You know, Mike Davis, another great example. Um, so yeah, those are, those are um, all the reasons why Geo was super attractive. How would you rank, uh, would you rank Hawk, Fant, Goddard, Gesicki relative to one another and why? Um, yeah, I would probably take Hawkinson and Fant and put them in a group. And then I'd probably put Goddard and Gesicki and put them in a group um, and then pick between them. Right. I don't I don't have any strong particular um, beliefs uh, in them. They're pretty close together when you sort of look at them in groups. Right. So I think uh, I think Hawkinson and Fant are clearly ahead of Goddard and Gesicki at this point. Um, and that sort of bears out in the market. Let me just pull up my data here. Um, okay, so yeah, this is the real draft position tracker. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is at 604 in startup, median startup ADP, and that's tight end five. Noah Fant is uh, 701, it's tight end six. Um, and they sort of are in a tier roughly with Mark Andrews um, at uh, 601. So they're within basically a one round tier there. Um, and then when you sort of look after that, um, there's a there's about a round and a half break or so between Fant and Goddard. So again, I would put that in a different tier. And uh, him and Gesicki look kind of similar in that tier. So I think Goddard, I'd probably take Goddard over Gesicki. Um, Gesicki is one I could go back and forth on. I like Goddard more, I think. Um, I like the first round guys more than I like Goddard. So um, you're a well-known fan of base rates that I am guilty as charged. Has that affected how you value Kyle Pitts? Um, that's a great question. Um, so one of the things I did in the analytics of Dynasty this year was look at uh, was look at some of the early season career arc, early <laughs> the the early rookie career arcs, right? Which is to say, you know, what's the hit rate early, and what's that do to market valuation? Uh, and so that's something that, that I really, um, uh, I think is valuable. So 40% of guys that are first round tight ends, it, it's, I, I use, um, two different metrics. I use a hit, a rookie hit rate, which is a top 12 finish and a developmental hit rate, which is basically, um, the six after that. Right. So I, I do it at all the positions. I have a developmental metric, which is basically, um, you know, it, for quarterbacks and tight ends, it's basically do they finish between 13 and 18? And for running backs and wide receivers, it's if they finish between 25 and 36, right? That's what I consider a, a developmental hit. Um, you know, just outside of a top, like a starter season, basically, um, whatever, and then half of whatever uh, that is. So, right, if you start, you know, if, if it's running back and wide receiver, I, I measure top 24. And then I look at the next 12. If it's run, if it's quarterback or tight end, I measure top 12 as a hit. And then I look at the next six. 
So 40% of uh, first round tight ends have finished in uh, the top 18 in the rookie season, which is strikingly low. Um, and that's actually better than a lot of other positions. So that's notable. Um, the hit rate's not super high. Um, so that's one thing I would sort of caution about um, in terms of looking there. Um, and then you sort of look at some of the value stuff, right? So um, you know, I, I, one thing I looked at a lot in this, in this edition was uh, what guys change in valuation going forward. So uh, only 40% of tight ends and drafted in the first round are actually above their rookie startup ADP in year two. So you're basically essentially you're measuring the guys that's that essentially is exactly what the developmental hit rate is so that's at 40 percent as well so basically if you're not a top 18 guy you're falling in valuation and you're basically less than a 50 50 shot to do that so i know that people are sort of pushing pits um i understand that um but i would be um he's not a guy that i've looked at particularly closely yet i just caution people on um, you know, I know the profile's pretty good. I would just caution people on thinking he's destined for stardom because that hasn't really historically been there with tight ends. And when you look at some of these guys, just down here, I mean, Gronkowski, you sort of look at the tight ends. Gronkowski was, wasn't was a first-round guy. Now there's Kelsey, now there's Kittle, now there's Waller, right? Um, now there's Andrews, right? So then the first ones you get into that are really relevant right now, Hawkinson and Fant, yes, they're there. Um, but you look at some of the other busts that have happened recently. You know, Evan Ingram's a hit for me, right? It hasn't been that uh, – he's he's not that dense, right? So that's a different measurement, right? How deep is his hit? Um is a different conversation, but he's hit the threshold. Um, no, for guys like Howard and, and Joku. Um, I think it's a really difficult position to transition to the NFL. And I think it's something that coaches a lot of times have a hard time doing. So even if you have someone that's quote generational like Pitts, um, I, I still think that, you know, there's still coaches that just want to run uh, flat routes with Evan Ingram, right? Where he's, dynamic if they sort of did the right things with them. So that would sort of be my caution about Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I think the hit rate's probably high, but I'd just be a little concerned about him, you know, pegging him to be this dynamic, uh, you know, generational Hall of Fame player when he hasn't played a snap in the NFL. Um, okay, uh, so let's see here. Um, all right, could you talk about the pitch draft capital will need to be like and what his ADP would need to look like for you to take him from a draft profile perspective? Yes, that's a good question in startups and in rookie drafts. Um, so I wouldn't take him, right? I think if you sort of wanted to have the conversation after Hawkinson and Fant, like I, I could get it up, like I could sort of have that debate. Again, I wouldn't like firmly put a chip down right now um, just because I haven't done enough study on him. So that comes with that caveat, but I think that's probably where he would, you know, I would take the, I would take the guys that I know so far um, and sort of, you know, I, I like to aim for big targets, right? So we kind of know what Hawkinson is. We kind of know what fan is like, they're very good and they're sort of ascending um, with one thing that we don't know with guys coming into the NFL is, and I think we probably underestimate this risk, which is, fall on your face factor right the you know the the he just can't cut it right the Dwayne Haskins he can't figure out how to stay out of a strip club factor right like he just can't handle it um that factor right so that's you know I don't think that this that Trevor Lawrence probably is this guy but if you take Herbert or you take uh Lawrence like who do you take like the answer to me is pretty clearly you take Herbert because he 
sort of pass the threshold test. So you know that he can sort of transition to the NFL. Um, where you just don't, that's a, that's another risk that you have with the rookie coming. And there's not really a reason to go over Herbert. Um, so, um, and a lot of the other quarterbacks, but that's a, that's a, uh, a different example of that. So, yeah, so I would probably have him in that range. I think that's fine. Um, you know, and we sort of look at some of the stuff in that range, uh, that, that kind of matches up with where about his base rate would fall. Right. So that's, um, so that's sort of would be my thought on that. Um, yeah. Middle of the first round. I mean, I, someone, I saw someone take him at 103. Um, it seems like it's too expensive. Um, you know, when you sort of look at it, I think that the highest ADP a tight end has ever had in my, in my stuff, and this is, I'll start one historic data. So with that caveat in mind that it's a little bit later than most folks are probably drafting with, we just don't have that robust of a sample of, of um, uh, super flex, dependable super flex ADP, right? It might be like three or four years, but I have basically went back to 2008. Um, and then you can sort of adjust the quarterbacks up, right? You can, uh, you know, you can sort of have a good threshold and you can sort of eyeball it and say, you know, here's kind of where it would be in super flex. I think the earliest one I have is like, uh, like eight overall in ADP. Uh, so again, you sort of look at that maybe like to like nine or 10 in super flex. Um, this is probably gonna be the most expensive one ever. Uh, that a bet I want to take? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I get it. I get why people are doing it. Um, but again, if you're gonna, if you could trade that pick for Hawkinson plus, would you do it? Like in a heartbeat. So, and I think that might be possible. To get on the clock in that rookie draft. So that would sort of be my pivot there. Um, breakout age or breakout year? No preference. Uh, breakout age. Breakout age. Um, breakout age. Um, okay. Um, yep. The Horton Moneyball. That's good. Um, okay. When, uh, okay. Uh, how would you adjust your process valuations in a very deep league with small starting pool? Uh, 30 plus players per team, including taxi, but only one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end and one flex add some more flexes. Um, the other thing is, I mean, you can trade a lot of guys. Your, your entire goal should be to get elite assets right and i sort of did this in the patrick mahomes like there's almost no price i wouldn't pay for patrick mahomes and Superflex. um yeah, that's kind of what you're dealing with at that right so the odds you use someone it's person 30 on your roster pretty low right so again you're looking for guys that are pretty asymmetric bets right so that's a um, that would be my sort of thought there. Again, exp uh, vote on expanding your flexes. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be a move to super flex, but add a couple flexes. Um, let's, see here. Uh, let's see here. What's your earliest fantasy football memory? Um, yeah. Uh, my, earliest, um, my earliest one is... Um, uh, <laughs> Um, a lot of them, um, I remember really early. Um, I, I probably, I, you know, I've, my dad and I have gone back and forth on this, um, about when we started playing. So I've been in a home league since it's easy. It's the mid nineties. Um, and I co-owned a team with, with my dad, um, until I was in college. Um, and, um, and I'm still in the league. It probably would have been, I think it was two years before Peyton Manning's rookie season. So I think it was like 96, 97, somewhere in that range. Um, 
I remember those. Um, and I remember we used to draft in a, um, the things that suck out I used to draft in a garage, um, which is quaint now considering what we are forced to do. Um, everyone was a lot older than me and swore a lot and drank a lot. And I was kind of the geek, uh, looking at the magazine. Um, and the other thing that was really like a time, um, get like a, um, you know, a sign of the times was we had to call in our rosters to uh, the commissioner's answering machine. And we, uh, and, and we did, my dad and I actually played fantasy baseball before we played fantasy football. So I was probably like eight or nine when we started doing that. And then maybe like 10 or 11, when I started playing uh, fantasy football. Um, and uh, we used to calculate all the scores every morning. Uh, we used to get up, you know, before school or before he went to work and do all the stuff for baseball. And then for football, every Monday morning, we would get up and uh, we actually had an Excel spreadsheet we used to print out with our laser jet printer that took like five minutes and uh, we'd have to go back and forth, uh, you know, between pages, but you know, you wanted to make sure you got the number right. Cause it took the page forever to load. <laughs> uh, so again, now you have it. Uh, it's funny. Cause like people that are a lot younger than me, they're like, yeah, like I just have it on my phone. And I was like, yeah, I remember a time when that was the case. Um, yeah, it was it, to change between a, a, an internet page. It took minutes. Right. And so that was, um, you know, and you had to make sure you had your AOL disc. I do remember that. That's another thing. Uh, we didn't have the internet for some reason, and I forget what, what the problem was, but we had to send someone to Blockbuster to get an AOL uh, free disk with like the 500 hours or whatever of internet service. I also remember that, too. That's pretty fun. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Nick asked, do I use film analysis in my process in any way? Yeah, I watch film. Um, I, I watch a lot of film on guys. I have, again, I haven't, um, there will probably be a, a couple weeks span here where that's pretty much all I do. I'm just doing a lot of work on some other stuff right now in terms of the the website development, you know, the book release, all that stuff. But sort of when that stuff calms down, which I would imagine by the next like few weeks or so here, um, I will probably spend like a week straight of just watching players um, and uh, and I, you know, just make notes. But I do use that. But I sort of recognize the fact that I have, um, you know, that I have some... Um, uh uncertainty or have some um uh you know that's not something that i'm probably a professional at right that I, that there's some holes in that there's some leaks in that game so that would sort of be the thought um oh i missed one here referencing trade arbitrages who are some running backs that you could arbitrage from dmc or kamara jonathan taylor's cheating um yeah i mean it depends the bet you want to make right you can go across positions you could do that um you know, and I think, you know, you look at guys in multiple year windows, right? You think Swift or Acres, right? Those are good places to go. Um, you know, uh, if you wanted to get like super contrarian about it, like take David Montgomery. Right? That's a huge payoff, which you could take the difference there. So that would be just, you know, look at guys in the multiple year windows and be selective about it. Um, do you think it's feasible for dynasty players who don't watch much film growing up to become even proficient at making film-based analysis or should dynasty players rely on more credible evaluators and who do you identify as the more credible evaluators? Um, I, you know, listen, uh, we're fans of the game, watch it. Right. Um, but kind of appreciate what you don't know. And so one of the things I think to, you know, I, I talk about base rates. Um, one of the things that, I talk about in the book, uh, it's a phenomenal read, is uh, a book by the name of um, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. And she's a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Uh, and she, prior to doing that, was actually in the midst of getting a, uh, a doctorate in 
psychiatry, psychology, something in the psychological field. I forget exactly what it was. Um, but she was uh, basically um, all she had to do was write her thesis and then she got sick. And that's how she ended up getting into poker. Well, she had a really successful poker career and essentially retired from poker and went back to do her um, psychology work um, or psychiatry work or whatever. Uh, you know, she's in that 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 field um, and thinks a lot about like behavioral decision making. Um, and so she wrote a book, Thinking in Bats. And one of the things that she wrote is, and it's a, I think this is extremely, extremely valuable, is put a number on it. Right. Think in bets, think in odds, think in probabilities. Right. So if you say and you'll see this, right, if you're following along my my some of my Twitter stuff, right, my 15 minutes or or if you see me ask someone, what do you think the odds are of that? Right. Um, what do you think? Like put a number on the idea, the fact that he's going to be a top 24 guy. Hey, how certain are you? Um, that's uh, that is why. Right. Because I think a lot about thinking about the number. And so for me, one thing that I do is like I'll watch tape. I'll say, all right, this guy's pretty good. Or this guy's I don't think this guy's very good at all. Um, and I might be right and I might be wrong. Um, but what I use to do it is I think a good way to sort of keep yourself on the rails and not make like catastrophic decisions, um, which is a lot of more. If you can just avoid doing those things, uh, it can be really helpful is figure out a base rate to use and a couple of ways that I do it. And I'm, I was actually working on it today um, and I'm, I'll have it up on my site and in my tiers uh, is something I'm actually working on a lot is market will tell you sort of what the, the, the running back 12 it has a certain implied hit rate to it. Right? So if I really like the player, right, I can sort of measure it against that hit rate. Um, you can use base rates, right? You can just use, um, you know, their density rates. You can use all those numbers as sort of guide rails, right? Which is tend to what I like to do. Um, so I like to incorporate those things into into my analysis. And so what I'll do is I'll I'll figure out. I think the easiest way to do it is I'll figure out, you know, I'll make an individual analysis about a player. Hey, I really like this player, or hey, I don't like this player at all. Um, and uh, and then I'll say, okay, uh, you know, what's the what's the odds that I think that they'll hit. And so I might say, you know, for, um, for, for a guy, I might say he's a 50% rate guy. Right. And his odds of, you know, his implied odds, uh, Clyde Edwards Lair might be an example of this. Right. Uh, so Clyde Edwards Lair as a, as a first round running back, if you sort of were to look at the, the, the round as a whole, it's about a 75% hit rate. So 75% of first round running backs have hit for a top 24 seasonal finish historically. It's about what it is. Um, and so I could say, okay, like that's a, the initial sort of starting salvo for how I think about him, but I don't think he's as good. I don't think he's that good, right? I don't think he's that good. So I might say like, all right, I think he's probably closer to 50%, right? I think it's more of a 50% guy. Um, and that's film analysis, right? That's some individual analysis about some of the metrics, right? I've been sort of vocal about the fact that I don't think he's that good at uh, being a pass catcher, for example. Um, and that's all an analytics take. Uh, but I, I have to sort of adjust my process, my evaluation of him to a market number, right? To the number of, um, you know, to, to his base rate. And so I might say, you know, I think he's got a 50% shot of hitting right that might be the number that i come down on and so what i do and I, what i would advise is you take two-thirds of the base rate number 
which is, you know, that 75% number. And then you take a third of what your number is and you add them up and you get that number, right? So you basically, you know, it's kind of a weighted average type deal. So you take the base rate, two thirds of that, then you take a third of the, uh, uh, a third of what your individual analysis of him, of his hit rate is. And then that's kind of your adjusted hit rate. I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, the other one is, you know, if you just as sort of a, you know, it's a simple rule of thumb. If you're really different from a player than the market is, that's okay. Think about why. Think about, think critically about why that's true. And if it's very different, is that, is that the market wrong or is that you wrong? Or should you adjust to it? Right. And that's one of the things that I would think about. And that's sort of how I would evaluate that. So yeah, watch the tape, you know, put a number on it and then sort of adjust it to what your base rate numbers are. Um, okay. So that's sort of the thing. Uh, great takeaway from Astro Ball. Even after the cheating stuff, there's still a bunch of great stuff in there. Yeah. I, that's funny. Cause I almost incorporated, right. All the cheating stuff kind of came out after I wrote the chapter. So we're trying to figure out how to handle it. Um, and I think I put a, in a footnote is, um, <laughs> to it in the book or you could just cheat <laughs> and this is like period and ended the footnote um so yeah uh I, we can't really do that so um um but yeah uh all right so that's a that's a really good one um do you uh scotty knows do you have any particular stats or traits you look for when evaluating tight ends either as prospects or at the nfl level this isn't about pits excuse me one second here Sorry, my uh, my voice isn't in, in uh, mid-season form yet. Um, so to cough. Um, I think the uh, yeah. So, like as a general threshold matter, uh, if the person has the top top twelve seasonal finish, like you should think about them more highly than um, guys that haven't. Right. That's a that's a simple just a simple one. Um, right. That that's a different tier of player. Um, so that's one, um, you know, your yards per route run is a big one that I look at. That's a, a pro football focus, uh, stat that I use quite a bit. Uh, and so that'll say, you know, guys like, for example, um, you know, Mark Andrews is excellent at that. Um, you know, no offense, very good. Um, they were on lower volume. Is that part of the problem? Um, so that's something that I look at quite a bit. Uh, and when you say, you know, then you sort of look at uh, a guy, for example, um, Logan Thomas, very bad last year. <laughs> he was incredibly inefficient, uh, but he ran by a wide margin, the most routes at the tight end position. So he basically uh, just aggregated, you know, I call him an aggregator. He just aggregated, you know, like 1.1 yards per route run. And when you do that 600 routes, which is by far the most at the position, you smash, right? Or relatively, right? He wasn't good. He just ran a lot of routes. That's kind of an easy one. Um, you know, that's that's kind of an easy one there. Um, touchdown rate is another one that's really simple in terms of looking at touchdown rate. If a guy's got a really, really high touchdown rate, just bet it's going to um, regress. Um, and snapshot, right? Availability is a good ability. Um, so I hope that helps. Um, okay, what do you think aspiring fantasy football writers, creators spend too much time doing? Um, fit in. Um, I think being different is really important. Um, I think, and, and 
for being honest, that's kind of what the analytics dynasty was, right? I mean, that's kind of how um, I got to this point uh, was I said, well, what's different? No one does a long form written thing. <laughs> and I don't know what the market is for it, but I kind of know that I'll be the only person doing a long form, hundred page written strategy guide. So let's see, right? I got something to be different on. Um, you know, I think be, uh, be good at something specific, right? Kind of be the guy on something. And so for me, I got the, you know, I kind of did the analytics and dynasty thing. You know, I did a lot on running back stuff. And uh, so that's one thing I think um, you should really focus your time on, you know, make friends, um, make, make friends. that will help you. Um, and, you know, I've, uh, this isn't a secret. Um, Chad Parsons has been immensely helpful to me. Um, and the way I got into writing was I just, um, it's sort of a long story, but I, you know, long story short, I just re- reached out to him. Um, and it took like a year for me to actually write anything. Um, and I reached out to him again and he said, yeah, like, you know, feel free. And I was a subscriber and, uh, you know, he's like, feel free to, you know, write something and, you know, I'll take a look at it. And if it's good, you know, we'll try it. And, you know, things just came from there and he's been really good to me. Um, he's been very helpful. And that's kind of how, um, you know, football guys sort of came from that. Right. And analytics and dynasty sort of spun from there. Um, so yeah, so all that stuff is, you know, make, make friends, you know, make, um, you know, be kind to people, right. Pay it back. Right. Even if you don't have anything to really give, right. Kind of be there, um, you know, be nice to people. Um, so I, you know, for a while I got this, um, persona, I guess on, 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 uh, online or whatever, uh, that, you know, I was kind of a jerk, I guess. I don't know. I didn't think I was, um, I still don't think I am. I try and be nice to people. And if, you know, <laughs> that's just kind of how I am. Um, I try to be snarky and sarcastic, which doesn't come out on, on Twitter, but I swear to God, I'm being trying to be nice. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, so that's some of the, you know, that's just trying to be that, right? And, to, and be authentic is something that I think, um, you know, just who you are. And I think that's really important. Um, so that's something I think we should spend a lot of time doing. Um, you know, um, and don't try and be someone you're not. That's that's something good. How many leagues are you in? What advice would you give to for managing a large number of them? Um, I am in, God, I hope my wife's not listening, uh, 25, 26, something like that. Um, I don't think, this is going to sound ridiculous. I don't think the difference between like five and 25 is all that much, right? If you're spending a lot of time re- looking at teams, right? It might be a bigger financial commitment. Um, and one thing I would say is like, it's really easy to kind of get addicted to this stuff um, because it can be all consuming, right? So really manage that, right? Don't, again, this is gambling in a sense, right? You can be good at it and it's a game of skill for sure, but you can lose. This isn't stuff that's in our control ultimately. Um, so be careful about that would be one thing I would say. Um, uh, so one of the things that I do is, you know, I have some automated trackers, which have been really helpful. I've been able to build them through, um, through Google Sheets and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, some some really helpful things. Um, you know, so that's that's uh, that's stuff that's automating, right? Um, you know, streamlining your resources, right? Streamlining your your evaluation process, right? Streamlining your um, um, streamlining your who you listen to right don't get information overload right think in process right all of those things those are things that i that i uh would would sort of do um and you know don't um 
it, you can consume too much information, right? And don't get don't get overwhelmed by it. That would be the other thing. Um, what structure? Uh, 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 what does the structure of the most fun dynasty league look like to you? Um, I could go a couple of different ways on this. I like a lot of optionality, right? So for me, it would be start two quarterback, start two tight end, um, one running back, one wide receiver, and then like nine flexes. <laughs> um, I love big rosters. I love um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of strategic decision-making. Um, I like to be able to sort of find an edge and exploit it. Um, and so having a lot of optionality looks a lot of fun. The other thing I, I like all play, I love playing all play. Um, so that means I like playing everyone every week. Um, and that reduces a lot of the luck. So that's good. Um, I saw you mention, so that's a, that's a really good question. Solar. good, good string there. Um, so I mentioned of geo, which brought this question to mind. Do you see any cheap veterans who are looking at free agency you think could be startable, even if just a flex role um that's a good question yeah let me um uh give me a second on that one let me come back to that i gotta pull my ears really quick because i have an actual category for that um then okay i can't so let me skip that and i'll come back to that um i saw you mentioned geo which brought this question to mind do you see any uh or sorry uh i can't remember all the vets who that may apply to if it includes guys like Gurley, Connor, Geo off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, sorry. I kind of reread the same question over again. Um, all right, so some guys I think could be beneficial uh, free agent types here. Let's see. Um, Fournette, that's an interesting one. 76% um, of guys who are first-round running backs – um, and are, uh, have hit four times in his career, which he has done, have hit again. Um, and he's actually uh, 0.2 seasons ahead of pace to do that. So um, that's a really good indicator. He's one of the buys that I have there. Um, all right, so some if we want to get grungy about this, like go real deep, which is kind of like where I like to live with these, um, I think Jamal Williams has a really interesting potential route to be in the running back one in Green Bay. Um, I think that's an interesting one. Um, you know, Mike Davis is a free agent and they're shopping Christian McCaffrey. Again, I don't know if he gets all the way home. I think if you were to tell me that one of the guys, and so I would, you know, tier them differently. So I have Aaron, you know, guys that are free agents that are kind of like former starters, I guess. Um, that would be Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Kenyon Drake, uh, James Conner, Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, and Adrian Peterson. Like they were starters in the last basically like 12 months um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think Fournette's a really interesting bet. I think he's a really high one there. Uh, again, Jones is kind of priced in, right? It's kind of baked in there. Uh, Fournette, I haven't met, uh, I had him running back 37. I think that's probably changed. So let me check that before I cite that number. Um, but I think if you sort of look at the other guys who are sort of the injury away or the free agents that are sort of committee guys right now, Jamal Williams is probably the best bet to be a starter. I think he, there's a he's got a reasonable shot at being the starter in Green Bay because if they let Aaron Jones walk and they could bring uh, – they could probably bring Jamal Williams back at like a tenth or – um, you know, 20% of what they would pay Aaron Jones. And um, I think that's really interesting. 
Um, yeah, so Fournette's price has really gone up. Let's see. He's at uh, running back 27. So, again, that's kind of in the Melvin Gordon, Gaskin, Chris Carson, Ronald Jones range. So it's more appropriately priced than he was earlier on in the offseason. That was pretty close to – like that was playoff Lenny mode. So I have to adjust my tiers for that. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. So um, um, so that I hope that answers that question. Um, Dwayne Haskins, stripper factor. Yeah, I said that. Um, uh, let's see. Any favorite hobbies or interests outside of football, fancy football? Um, yeah, I ride my bike a lot, um, and I'm a stickler for lawn care. So. Um, make it to the bottom i might have made it to the bottom uh let's see this has been exceptional it's given me something to think and listen to uh thank you um if you're interested this yeah the breakout age okay um yeah so i think that uh, i think i got to the bottom um just check and see if i missed any i don't think i did all right that's good um uh, Nick, if you want to uh, send me a message just so i know what to do now um <laughs> uh all right. Looks like yeah. Looks like we got to the bottom. If anyone has any more questions, I can I can take them. So I still have a few minutes left here. Um, so yeah, go ahead and shoot them in. If you have any more questions, feel free. I got you know I got I still have some time. Um, we'll see how the 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 voice gets there. Um, but I just want to thank everyone for coming in again. If you want to go over to um, if you want to go over to analytics and dynasty dot com, uh, you can find the book. Um, I actually have a pack. I think the best way to actually consume the analytics of Dynasty is to read the 2020 edition and the 2021 edition together. So I have them actually bundled together over at the site. You can get them. Um, I think they really work off each other really well in a lot of ways. I don't write. I I hated. There's nothing more than I hated than the jerk authors in, of college textbooks who would basically just update a few words and then republish, and it would cost $190. Like, I thought those people were... Um, satan worshiping um no offense to anyone out there who writes textbooks but i just thought that that was a con job so i don't do that um and so i i kind of i walk a fine line of not doing that yet trying to refer back to it um because i think a lot of the stuff works together and it's kind of a system so uh, that is something that i have um it's i've it's a balance that I'm not sure I'm ever striking right. Um, but I know kind of the less I use from the last the last one, the more I'm not being the college textbook. Um, but again, it's it's tough to sort of balance that. So I think the easiest way to, to sort of consume them is together, um, 2020 and 2021 for sure. Um, so I have them bundled together. Um, and if you want to, um, you know, Analytics of Dynasty is a, is a member site. Um, so I do have some, uh, I do have uh, Dynasty Daily podcasts. Um, I was actually just recording them today. Thank God I actually recorded, batch recorded, because I'm not going to have a voice tomorrow, which is um, to be fun. Um, uh, so I do have, um, you know, daily podcasts up there um, all throughout the off season. So I've done, I think I'm on like, I started in December. So I'm on like 60. I think it's episode 60 was the one I recorded yesterday. Um, so again, all the way 
through season, different, um, different topics. There's never anything, there's never a time that I haven't found something to talk about. So, um, and I think now there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's stuff I just can't get to. Um, so you can find all that there. Again, I have my real draft position tracker, which is, I think, incredibly valuable. Um, and it beats any ADP. And the reason why it beats any ADP is it's constantly updating for new market data, which ADP doesn't do. Um, you know, the ADP you're looking at a lot of times is like six weeks old. Um, and it can, six weeks can be a long time, a really long time. And so we have much more updated information um, and it's constantly evolving. So you always get a good idea of where the market is on a number. So that's, I think is extremely valuable. Um, so that's part of the site as well. And then, um, and the dynasty, and I have my tiers up there and I have a couple of other, uh, goodies that should be rolling out here as well pretty soon um so yeah you can find all those at analytics and dynasty.com oh i have a startup uh startup trade calculator which is very valuable um in terms of trying to make trades in, in a startup draft uh, it's all market data that we've used to distill down uh, the trade value of of startup picks incredibly valuable i think it's different than anything anyone else has so um, i think all those things you can find over there so um Okay. Uh, oh, there are some more questions. This is great. Um, I love these. This is kind of like the Twitter thing, except that it gives me a voice um, and more than 180, uh, two, 280 characters. Um, as a trend, do you find yourself more likely to slowly react to news performances, i.e. stick with your prior valuations or react more quickly? Yeah, I'm a base rates guy, so I don't move much. <laughs> um, I do move, um, and I tend to find that um, um, I will the base rates because largely they're right historically right and so if you sort of do that you know and you think about like i sold james robinson for a second after like week two and if i did that a thousand times i'd be pretty profitable james robinson's the one i missed on right if i'd done that with joshua kelly if i'd done that with, right the, the list of guys that i could have done that with this year is pretty high uh, uh and historically that's the right bet and so you know sometimes you miss um I, I, the process was absolutely right. Um, and so, you know, I, I tend to find myself being um, uh, more slow to react because I think we should, there's a lot of information that we know and you know, we got to be careful about recency bias, but it's a big thing, right? I think one of the things too that I, I look at and I faced this decision last year, right? And I think we have to face it again this year in some in some spots too, which is uh, at what point, uh, and I had this question a lot, right? Chris Godwin was going ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster. And I was thinking a lot about that. And I said, at what point, other than in the 2019 season, was Chris Godwin better than Juju Smith-Schuster? And the answer is there wasn't a point. At their college profile, Juju Smith-Schuster was better. Juju Smith-Schuster was better to start his career. The only time that Chris Godwin had ever been better than Juju Smith-Schuster was in 2019. And it was reflected in their startup costs, right? Chris Godwin was going ahead of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster by a pretty good margin. Um, wide receiver won in some spots at points. Uh, and so I just said, I, you know, at what point? Only now, right? So are we going to weigh their, what, 23rd or 24th year on this earth uh, so much more than the first 22 years? of data that we have about them. Um, you know, that's the, the much better bet was to take 
had, had a better resume. Um, so that's one of the things like, I, I think if you do that, um, if you really think about why is this guy going over the other guy, you know, why is Miles Sanders going over David Montgomery right now? Cause there's zero rationality to that. Thinking about that, I think makes a lot of sense. So um, I am a underreactor. Um, do you get frustrated by the limits of analytics in football compared to other sports or is that part of the fun of it? Yeah, I think not knowing, right. Is it, is a good thing. Um, I do think, you know, and there's, there's not a solved equation makes it fun. Makes it something to um, constantly be looking at. And I don't think like I, I, you know, talk about, you know, why is the analytics of dynasty valuable? Uh, you know, why is my site valuable? Right. Because we've identified edges that haven't corrected yet. They're still there. And um, we'll pound away on the running back thing for eternity. I think that'll never change um, because people are misunderstanding the market. And um, I think, you know, kind of knowing that is, is part of the fun. Um, but yeah, there's always something to look at, right? There's always, there's always something more. It's never solved. Um, you know, quarterback's a fascinating one. I think the thing that would solve quarterback is if we had GPS data, if we had GPS data on quarterbacks, what they did in college, uh, in terms of where they went 24-7, I think you'd have a much better hit rate on on the quarterbacks than we have right now. Um, but that's stuff like we'll never have access to. But it's interesting to think about that sort of stuff. Um, Nick, there's I can't read aloud. So this is um, one of the the funny parts. He says uh, you should do an audio book. Um, I'm not um, – I'm not um, – uh, what's it called when you, um, when you sort of uh, interpose words um, – dyslexic i'm not dyslexic but i read a lot like i'm dyslexic uh so i have like a really hard time of reading out loud um just because <laughs> i can't get the order of words right and i swear to god i can read um but just reading out loud is very difficult for me to do um like reading to my kids is <laughs> brutal um you know i would have these uh in my old job uh, i'd have to give like you know arguments or whatever and uh, i just couldn't write them down and read them so I just should figure out how to memorize them all um, and, you know, do it, in my, do it in my head. And, um, you know, I'd have to ask people questions. I was, I'm a lawyer by trade. And so, um, you know, during trials and stuff, like I literally write down like no questions and I would do entire cross-examination, you know, entire direct examinations with nothing written down or nothing, you know, no questions written out just because I couldn't read them. Um, it would confuse me. So, um, so yeah, so I doubt an audiobook is something I could probably get uh to accomplished it would be a horrendous listen um what research topics are you thinking about this off season that's a great question um I have a constantly evolving book of research questions that i need to do um, uh i think um i think the market value stuff that i wrote about in 2021 is uh, i think there's more there so i think about that it's really interesting how to predict future market valuation i think we I think I'm almost there, um, which I think is very powerful. Um, I think that's good. Uh, it's something I'm going to work on. Um, you know, thinking about strategy, about other things, right? I think applying, I think basketball is a phenomenal comp. NBA basketball is a great strategy uh, think tank for, for Dynasty. So that's something I constantly think about. Listen to a lot of those podcasts, um, a lot of that content, consuming that. Um, I think... Uh, the NFL or the uh, NHL expansion draft, right? That's something I'm really going to think a lot about because I think that's really valuable to team building. So, um, so that's all stuff that I'll think about. Um, I think trade value stuff is something I'll think about too. Um, 
you know, how we sort of contextualize some of that stuff. There's some data that I sort of have that I don't know precisely what to do with. Uh, I do think some of the things that I'm looking at right now, um, I am incorporating this and I will write about this in the book. I'm incorporating it into my dynasty tiers for um, at analytics and dynasty. Uh, com is uh, the base rates of, of things other than a top 12, uh, other than a top 24 seasonal finish, right? So kind of knowing that a person hasn't hit for a top 12 season yet, uh, what does that sort of put you on a trajectory of? And hint, hint, Miles Sanders isn't that high. <laughs> so that would be one thing that I would, uh, that I'm thinking about, and I think can really change how we think about this. Um, uh, yeah, so that's the answer to that question. Um, J-Rob, your biggest miss or are there others that stand out? I'll be honest. Uh, James Robinson was actually a guy that I couldn't understand why he wasn't drafted. He was actually a guy I really liked coming out. Um, I didn't, like, he, I, I'm a sucker for 220-pound running backs that can catch and run, right? Like, that is just, just that has been my type forever. Ryan Nall, I will die on a hill that Ryan Nall is an underused running back. Die, that's a hill I'm willing to i'm willing to battle to the death on top of um so uh he was a guy that i was interested in like him and michael warren were the two guys on my aod uh udfa board right they were the top udfas on the board in terms of in terms of guys so i did get a like a decent uh set of shares um I just, I had no, yeah, this wasn't even in my range. The, his story of getting to relevance is incredible. I mean, it was, they traded their first round pick who was under contract for another year, or they cut him, excuse me. And then the guy in the, his backup got COVID and his backup uh, was basically out the entire year. And oh, by the way, they got COVID is like one of the only people in the NFL that had like, long-term COVID complications. I think there was a couple other ones, but in terms of skill guy, like he's like the only guy, right? So James Robinson's road to relevance is just incredible. Um, so I'm, yeah, and I, I caught, you could have colored me skeptical in terms of missing that. Um, other process ones that I, um, you know, I think the biggest process miss that I made last year was I didn't took two specific bets. So I think taking and again, this has turned out okay. But in hindsight, I think looking forward, this is probably the class to really be really um, clinical about is uh, is not picking favorites, right? picking profiles and not picking favorites within them. So I was a huge Jonathan Taylor guy. I took him at 101 over Burrow, over Clyde Edwards-Lair, um, multiple spots. Uh, and would – if I had to go back and put him on the board, I would have done that again. The question that I have is, would I have um, would I have stayed and picked or would I trade it down? Um, that would be one thing that I think a lot about. Um, the other thing, too, is that I should have never let the spread between Tua and Justin Herbert be as big as it was um, in my drafts. I should have probably closed that down. So thinking about that. Then, again, exploiting the, the back end of profiles, right? Uh, Justin Jefferson on paper didn't look any different than – Jerry, Judy, C.D. Lamb, or Jalen Rager. So why were we taking him at four with a big gap there? It didn't make much sense. Um, so that would sort of be the thing of that. Um, that was the biggest process errors, I think. You know, really tightening that up, I think, would make me more efficient. Um, I do recording the book for free access day. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Um, could I hear a voice down? Uh, Morgan Freeman has been someone that's been suggested. I think it's probably out of the analytics density. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, don't hold me to that, but seriously, like, seriously. Um, 
uh, speaking of that, uh, if you prepped a code for AS Dynasty Movement, just get you should mention that. Okay, yes, I, 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 uh, I haven't activated yet, so I will. So I will take um, ten percent off the uh, your purchase over at analyticsdynasty.com. Um, it's actually do this uh, if you use the word movement, um, so you can get either the books or actually if you want to um, membership to the site, ten percent off. Um, I will do for both if you use movement um, for either one of those. So I will uh, that. So yeah, give me like a couple minutes to actually activate that. Um, but ten percent off. Use movement, and that will get you the the coupon code um, for both there. So um, and that's for the twenty twenty the twenty twenty one edition those bundles that I talked about all that stuff. Um, and then uh, for the membership, I'll get you ten percent off. So um, all right, if there is anything, uh, I see a couple people typing in. So let me just activate the code really quick, and. Um, Thrilling audio, I know. Book, Let's see. And then it'll be on the site as well. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm Matthew Morgan Freeman. Uh, that's great. Codes are all activated, so you can go ahead and get those. Um, is there anything else we didn't ask you that you wish we had? Um, no, I think, yeah, go ahead and get the books. Um, I think that would be the most helpful thing to, you know, that all this is really, um, you know, all of it is, is really application of, of books, right? And, and it's a process. And I think that, um, yeah, I think thinking about it in process form is, is helpful, right? And I think thinking about it and, um, you know, thinking about it strategically is really, really important. Um, and if the more you want to do that, and there's an edge there, right? I think a lot of people think about tactics um, and a lot of people think about, um, you know, uh, you know, what, which player's up, which player's down. We get so much into the minutia and the rat race of it all that we sort of fail to take a step back and really think about it from a big picture. Right? So that's really where, where I come from and then try and you know, try and apply that and see what it is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of data. Um, 
there's a lot of um, there's a lot of data in there, but it's not in a way that I think's totally overwhelming, right? Because that's not fun either. So, um, so yeah, so that's pretty much uh, what I'd have to say. So, and uh, yeah, the code is movement, so you can get subscriptions to either the site or the book. Sure. Um, all right. So if that um, that does it, um, I think that pretty much does it. Thanks, everyone. I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate uh, being in here and having this opportunity. And thanks, everyone.